I moved to the island of Antigua when I was five and grew up without TV in the house. The only shows I can remember from that time were Soul Train and Hawaii Five-O, which I occasionally got to watch if the neighbors invited us over. It wasn't until I moved back to New Zealand for high school that I could really make a habit of watching TV, but even then there were only two channels on the air and content choices were minimal, and TV completely went off the air at 11 p.m. every night. Today, there's just so much great content to choose from on television or online, it's easy to take for granted just how much hard work and thought goes into creating the entertainment that we see on our screens every day, and then, of course, just how accessible it all is. Since the 1990s and the rapid growth of cable television, there's been a dramatic shift from the traditional network programming that we've all been used to for decades to streaming content and binge-watching, and we just expect to have it every day. The program makers, schedulers, marketers, and ad salespeople have had to move with the times to survive while trying to predict what the next trend is. On this week's Bucket Podcast, I talked to television maverick Nancy Daniels. She's the chief brand operator at Discovery and oversees all creative and brand strategy, development, production, multi-platform, communications, marketing, and day-to-day operations for Discovery Channel and Science Channel in the U.S., It's fair to say that Daniels has quite the workload in a landscape that keeps changing and changing at such a fast pace. I met up with Nancy at the Real Screen Summit, a global market and conference for unscripted and nonfiction entertainment, to talk about how Discovery and the unscripted entertainment industry in general has evolved dramatically from the 1990s with the exponential growth of cable to the now uncharted territory of streaming content. You, I couldn't go back. Changes your you just life. put it out there. She said you've got less than a year to live. Just dug even deeper. Luck is the residue of design. Nobody else was doing it, so I couldn't. That I? was the turning point. Welcome to the Bucket Podcast with Phil Kogan. Every week, I talk to mavericks, disruptors, and innovators—people who ditch the excuses, swerve off the predictable road, and epitomize what it means to tick it before you kick it. The day-to-day of running a network and trying to get an audience and going, you know, picking the right shows and, and working with producers and working on budgets and all that stuff can be hard. But then when you think about what we get to do the and impact. what it means what we can do and the platform we have and the opportunity we have to actually make a difference for people, that's pretty cool. All right, great. <laughs> it's just called Bucket with Phil Kogan. Nice plug. Yeah. Well, listen, this is a great way for, I mean, you got a great turnout here this morning, Nancy. We were just saying, 9.30 in the morning. Pretty good. At Real Screen. That's yeah, a that's guys a all got up. Thing. I'm impressed. Um, this title of yours, such a heavy title. I mean, do you, do you sleep at night with this responsibility? <laughs> and did you ever think you'd be a chief? Uh, no, and um, uh, I do wake up a lot thinking about uh, everything I'm sure everybody in this room thinks about all the time, like... Uh, what is the future of television and are we all making the right decisions and going to be in the right place as this future comes so yeah and it's changing so fast I mean by the time we leave this discussion something might have changed by the time we leave the room it's going so quickly Uh, we've known each other I guess almost two decades and how would you describe the changes from when we first started if you were to sort of try to encapsulate what's happening what is going on out there it is rapidly changing? Uh, 
Yeah, when I when I started in the business, it was the early days of cable. Yeah, I, we were just talking about it. It was um, you know like mid '90s, mm. um, and and cable was just growing exponentially, and that seemed like where all the opportunity was. Um, we worked together on a broadcast show on Amazing Race, um, and I remember being at CBS for those years, which was like '03 to '07, and feeling like. Oh my, you know, the feeling there was, oh my God, broadcast is, is dying. It's not the king of the hill anymore. Cable's going to come and take over everything. Um, and now I'm in cable, have been in cable for now over a decade on the kind of network side of things. And it's kind of that same feeling we had at, at CBS at yeah. that time. And um, when I look at, you know, everybody, everything, everybody survives. Yeah. Um, CBS is surviving and thriving. I mean, you're still doing The Amazing Rice, which is awesome. And, um, and it's like, where are we going to go from here? What, I think we're going to end up having to kind of right-size who we are as an industry um, and be prepared for, for where the audiences are going. You're playing by different rules than, say, people who are programming Netflix or Amazon. And I'm just wondering how you make a success out of a cable platform when you are playing by different rules. Well, that's what keeps me up at night. Right. Is, um, and it's funny, we were, I was with a group of people last night, we were talking about how we're all, we all have to play by different rules. And sometimes it doesn't seem very fair. Right. Um, you know, I work on a, you know, a commercial cable television network. Um, we, you know, we're judged by our revenue and, um, on, on, and by our ratings, like on an everyday basis. And um, the, the streamers haven't had to or, or haven't released that kind of information. And they, they, don't, they don't have to live by ratings or by ad dollars yet. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, we're just playing by different rules. Even the, the clock that you have to deliver a show yeah. on, you know, if, if, a, if a creator wants to deliver something really long, we try to make it work and we figure it out. But it's not an easy yes where, you know, on the streamers, it's, it's kind of, oh, deliver whatever you want, whatever, however length that you want. Um, and the, but then you kind of put it out there and see if anybody watches. Yeah, I, mean, it, I guess it, it speaks to your ability to connect with an audience that you were able to turn TLC around and, and as Barry said, make it a, a top 10 uh, network for, for women. I'm just wondering, how do you feel that like you've been able to find those connections with the audience? We've talked about the successful shows like My 600 Pound Life. You found this way of connecting, and, and that's not easy. That, that's the, that magic formula, whatever it is. No, I was on TLC for about five years, and uh, you know, for about three of those, it was really, it was really, really dire, right? Mm -hmm. Like everything we were trying wasn't working. Um, and you know, we all had this moment of, of let's listen. <laughs> We have to listen to exactly what our audience is telling us. How do you us. do that, though? Because if the numbers are low, and then you want to hear, well, what do you? Well, there want? there How were you... there were certain elements of things that were popping and were mm -hmm. consistently popping. Got it. Right. So, let's, for example, 90 Day Fiance. Yeah. You know that show was was a, a hit out of the gate, and um, you know, but it was only I don't know the first round. I think was six or eight episodes. And then we had to think about, okay, let's quickly do more. That's not quick. That's not a quick process. Um, but you, we did more. We did season two. We did season three. And then by the time season three came around, we figured that was the right time. The creative supported it. We were going to do a spinoff. 
And honestly, that was when the network really started jumping and, and getting some stability, not just on that one show, but being able to get um, a, a, a consistent show and delivery across the night for, for as many weeks a year as you can. I think, I think we were trying to get it 52 weeks a year if we could of, um, of 90 Day Fiance in some form or another just to deliver to our audience. But it wasn't just 90 Day. I mean, um, you mentioned My 600 Pound Life, yeah. um, which was a show that had, when I came to TLC, it already had its first season and had shown some life there. When, once we saw it popping, I said, you know what, we should just be ordering, we should be ordering two seasons. We should be, because just because it takes so long, mm -hmm. so we can get ahead of it. That started working. And then um, because they shoot for a year, you know, the, the producer on that um, from Megalomedia would come and say, this one, I have so much content, you know, can I can I deliver it a little long? We're like, great, make it a two hour. Mm. Um, because the audience was staying. And you said that too, that, that you want those blocks where you know people are going to come and then you just want to hold them as long as possible and then look for the spin-off opportunities while something is working. Yes. I mean, it's so hard to get anything to pop through. So if there's anything slightly familiar in it, like if it's a spin-off potential, um, I mean, I, I think that's honestly why a lot of us network programmers end up looking at you end up seeing shows that feel very similar. It's because we know our audience likes that kind of show where we're just trying to continually deliver that to them. So you're following the numbers, but then you were saying how heartbreaking it could be sometimes when you really believe in a wonderful idea that might have come from a producer and you pour your heart and soul into it and you see that they're doing the same and, and then it goes out and maybe it doesn't hit the first episode or the second episode and then by the time the third episode comes along, what happens? <laughs> You were telling me you get a phone call. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, yeah, it, it depends um, on, uh, on the level of expectation around it. But somewhat, the higher the expectation, um, the, the more quickly we have to really be honest with ourselves. Is this going to work or not? And it is heartbreaking when you have to pull something off early that you really believed in. Um, but the fact is, if, if something, you know, hits a number on night one, but was going down in a quarter hours, and the next week hits a lower number, it's going down in a quarter hours, the third week, same story. You know, I, I understand everybody's like, let's just let, it, let people find it, let people find it, but you have to watch the numbers, you have to listen to what they're telling you, um, and you have, you have um, people calling you saying, we can't live with this number in this time period, we're losing money, like you have to make a change. That's hard. It's really hard to do, but it is the business we're in. You know, we have to deliver an audience. How do you balance, though, if the, then the producer pushes back and says, well, yeah, but we're not getting the promotion, or people don't know the reason we're not getting the numbers because they don't know that the show's on, and we've got a great show. Because that's a, such a balance, right? The investment then in the, in the product. Not every show is going to get a giant marketing campaign, mm -hmm. um, but we do everything we can to to give shows we believe in a, a shot. So whether that be a lead-in slot um, or whether we push it on our social platforms and digital platforms or we get a good press hit around it, um, we do everything we can. But I could tell you, I mean, I could tell you 10 stories of shows that didn't get one ounce of promotion and popped. Well, give us some examples so we know. Um, I'm trying to think. We. What about Naked and Afraid? Was that one of those? Naked and Afraid got a huge promotion. Uh, Naked and Afraid got a huge promotion. Hey, Naked and Afraid. It was sort of out there, wasn't it? No, it got. Um, 
That was the year we did um, Nick Willenda walking over the Grand Canyon. And the lead out of that was Naked and Afraid's season premiere. Yeah. So there, at one point, while he was walking over the Grand Canyon, there were 12 million people watching. <laughs> so Naked and Afraid got kind of the best. Plenty of exposure. Yes, so they, they did okay. Yeah. <laughs> they had a pretty good lead in. <laughs> yeah, and, but the, that was, you brought up an interesting point because you get something like Naked and Afraid. So now you see the numbers spike. And I, I remember I was telling you the story in 1999. I made a, an episode called uh, Nude Awakenings right. for Discovery. And uh, it was a hard sell, so to speak, to uh, Discovery at the time. But um, it literally rated its ass off. And, um, <laughs> but uh, it, can be a, uh, it, it can be tough, right? Because sales and marketing, they also sometimes maybe find it hard to say, I've got a great show for you. People are going to face each other. They're going to take off all their clothes. And we're going to have a show, right? I mean, then they've got, you've got to find buyers. You've got to buy, find, and you're a blue chip network. That's got to be challenging. I, I think working in, um, in ad sales and having to go sell the shows is a really hard job, right? Mm-hmm. They, um, advertisers have a lot of choices, and, um, and any hint or whiff of something that doesn't feel right could, could make an advertiser go, you know what, not worth it. I think I'm going to go over here. Um, but I, I, I and my whole team, we work really hard to work with our ad sales team to make them know why we believe in the show, why we love the show, why the show should be, like, you should be out there loud and proud about why this belongs on Discovery or why this belongs on TLC and what kind of audience it's going to deliver. Um, and that, at the end of the day, is what they're there to do. They're to get the eyeballs for their brand um, and if we're delivering a certain kind of audience, we just have to make that connection. And we have to, frankly, help our ad sales teams kind of arm them with our passion, you know? Yeah. I, I, that show is such a surprise because you don't go for the, for the obvious, yes, they're naked, but there's that moment, that awkward moment at the beginning you were describing it. Like, for those people who, in the room, I can't imagine there is any, has anybody not seen Naked and Afraid? <laughs> Maybe a few people haven't seen it. But how would you describe the show? Yes, they're naked, but and well, they're afraid. <laughs> I mean, I, I would describe it as the ultimate survival show. So if, if you're ever thinking, I'm, you know, I could survive out in the wild, can you, can you really survive without anything? And when we first did that show, um, you know, everything up to then had been, you know, guys like head to toe in Patagonia gear, you know, out there trying to survive the wild. And, a little leather patch or something. Yeah, I yeah. mean, they had the tools, they had amazing ability, but to, to go out there and have to survive, you know, as our ancestors did was a whole other level of it. And I give, um, I give full credit to the crazy mind of Simon Andre, who came up with the title um, and, and came back. We were trying to reinvent the survival genre. What can we do? What can we do? What can we do? He came back with this title, which, if you know Simon, is a very Simon title. And, um, and then we went to Renegade and came up with this format. And it really was kind of that image of kind of Adam and Eve um, surviving. But the first time we, we filmed it, you know, first off, you're like, is anybody going to do this, right? Are you going to be able to cast it? But if any of us who work in this business, you can always cast something. <laughs> um, and, and then they, you know, the clothes drop, there's that awkward moment, and then it's over. Then it's just about survival. Yeah. And, that's, and that is consistent in every episode. 
did you know right from the page, like when you first saw it and you saw the title, did, did you just get a gut? Do you have a gut instinct with these things? That I thought it was worth trying. It scared me. Right. You know, it did scare me, but I definitely thought it was worth trying. Okay, and then right up from the beginning, how did sales and marketing react? Well, they, you know, they, they didn't love that Naked was in the title. Right. But that's what got people to watch the show, and therein lies the the, the, the challenge. Yes. And how challenging is that? Because you're trying to push to the edge. You want to create something that people are going to maybe be attracted to from the title or because of the content, and then you're also trying to uphold this blue chip brand. Right. Yeah, that's another thing that keeps me up at night. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, it's really hard. You want to, you, you have to be, sometimes the title is all you get for marketing. Yeah. You know, somebody going through an EPG and, you know, they're going to stop on Naked and Afraid. They might not stop at like, you know, just if it just says survival in the wild, you know, but Naked and Afraid, like, what is that? I need to check that out. And you, and you just get more of a shot. And that show... I believe that show completely delivers on core discovery content. Like, it lives up to every tenet of who we are. Um, and, and explain it, that. I mean, it's, it's, it's about man versus nature. It's somewhat epic. It's survival. It's ingenuity. You can watch that show and learn something from it and take it away you know, on your next camping trip if you want. I mean, it is, it's also somewhat inspiring. I mean, it... it it, it's inspired a lot of people to come out of the woodwork who want to be on that show and prove that they can like survive like in the ultimate way. I think one of the things that I like the most about the show is just the idea that you can't judge a book by its cover. Like the people who end up being yeah. the, the toughest, the ones that are mentally tough, tough, those are the ones that nece don't necessarily look like they're going to make it. Right. <laughs> Right? I mean, you see the big burly guy who just checks out because he's being bitten by mosquitoes. Too oh, many yeah. Times. And he's done. Right? Yeah. And, and then, and then the, the, the women end up kind of staying calm and, and taking care of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, is it, it's so true. Um, what about like synergistic opportunities where maybe you have a certain type of programming on Discovery, but then you can do a spin-off type show that maybe works for TLC so that you're... Well, I, I know for sure, you know, that, um, you know, TLC has been doing that with HGTV um, and, uh, and, th and there's definitely, uh, you know, opportunities there. For us, a, a couple of different things I'll say on that. One is, you know, when we, we have a, our, our hugest week of the year on Discovery is Shark Week. And Anybody not heard of Shark Week? <laughs> 30 be, years, right? This will be the 31st year coming up of Shark Week. Incredible. Yeah. So... We, uh, everybody loves Shark Week. It is, it's a huge pop culture phenomenon. It brings in a completely different audience to Discovery for the week. And you've got some incredible characters pulled to Gelder, yeah. uh, who is one of the stars on Shark Week. Uh, yeah, we kind of have a, a handful of our go-to shark experts. They just live and breathe sharks year-round. And, um, and they get to go all over the world, you know, to, to go find the sharks and produce uh, I, you know, that I think we're doing like 17 hours of original shark programming for this year's Shark Week. Um, so, you know, these guys who love it, you know, they've really kind of become a part of our Shark Week family. And last night, I understand you just flew in from Sundance and you had a world premiere there with a, another big, uh, was it a special or? A it's a documentary. Okay. Um, so I think in 2016, 
Um, David Zaslav, my boss, the CEO of Discovery, um, really decided we were going to, as a company, we were going to take on the cause of helping to save the dwindling tiger population, um, which has been, when you actually see the numbers over the last hundred years, what's happened to the tiger population, it's just, it's kind of, it's shocking and very sad. But there are people out there who are working to try and save these tigers um, and, pr and preserve the lands they live in and just, frankly, just change human behavior around poaching and hunting and all those things that have been the cause of the dwindling tiger population. So a part of it was a corporate initiative um, where we teamed up with the World Wildlife Fund and we raised money and we've, it's called Project Cat, which is conserving acres for tigers. So we've worked to um, create thousands and thousands or millions actually, we're up to two million acres in India and Bhutan of tiger preserve. Um, and then and we- And how do you get the- uh, how It's you... working with the government. Okay. Um, to and make sure that areas. we're securing those lands. Wow. That they can't do anything to them, that they're preserves. And now we're doing it in Russia too, with an area called Bikin National Forest, which is the only place in Russia where tigers even live in the wild now, um, which is adding another like 3.8 million acres. So that's one part of it, which is amazing. Um, back Isn't in that great that you can do that I now mean, that you are chief? <laughs> yeah. Right? You could be a part of something like that? We can like save that. the world. Yeah, no, but I mean, It's actually really fulfilling right? to be able to to feel good um, about the bigger stuff you can do. And I, I mean, I've, I've, I've felt that, you know, since being, having the opportunity to, to be the head of TLC and now of Discovery, the day-to-day -day of running a network and trying to get an audience and going, you know, picking the right shows and, and working with producers and working on budgets and all that stuff can be hard. But then when you think about the the what we get to do the and impact. what it means what we can do and the platform we have and the opportunity we have to actually make a difference for people that's pretty cool um what about some other big projects this project um why we hate steven spielberg is that yeah no it's not why we hate steven spielberg it's just why we hate hate <laughs> why we hate got it whoever <laughs> why we hate <laughs> Steven Spielberg is the producer. Yes. 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 Um, I just came up with a new title. <laughs> I've run it by sales and marketing. <laughs> uh, they said it's going to sell. Why? Just so you know. I said people would watch it. I don't new know if news, it would sell. Why we yeah. hate Steven Spielberg. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's a multi-part series that has been in the works for a very long time. Um, so it's, it's um, again, uh, my boss, David Zaslav, went to Steven Spielberg. Um, Dave is very involved in Steven Spielberg's Shoah Foundation and um, was, was said, we want to be in business with you. What are you passionate about? What is the stories you want to tell? And, and Steven, I remember he said, I, I was on the phone. We got yeah. on the phone. He's like, I, I really want to, I really want to explore the origins of hate and what it can do to us and mm -hmm. where does it come from and how can we change it? Because obviously that's a big priority for him with the Shoah Foundation. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then he went, he attached Alex Gibney. Yep. Um, so we're doing it with Jigsaw, which is Alex Gibney's production company with Steven Spielberg executive producing. And um, we're, we're almost done. We're trying to find the right time to air it, but it's really powerful. And it's, you know, who knew, you know, five years ago when we first started talking about it, how incredibly relevant it would be. And unfortunately, I think it's just going to get it more It does show a tremendous relevant. amount of, uh, of foresight because, yeah, the, the, the hatred that is 
been bubbling away uh, in recent years yeah. is it's yeah. certainly something we need to take a good look at. Mm-hmm. You've talked uh, a lot about tent polling um, and, and event specials. So this year is the 50th anniversary of man landing on the moon, July 20th, yeah. 1969. Yeah. What have you got planned for that? We have um, a number of specials in the works um, that will be on Science Channel and on Discovery, um, really celebrating... Across the platforms? Yes, um, celebrating the moon landing in a big way. I know a lot of people are going to be all over that. It's a huge moment. Um, And we're also, you know, in in deep talks with with NASA about what's next and, you know, how can we be a part of what's next and covering what's next with them because there's a lot going on in space exploration. So it's almost like, yes, it's a look back um, at, at, at what happened in 1969, which is truly an amazing feat when you really think about it. Um, but also, what are we doing moving forward? What's kind of crazy to me is some of the things we're working on, we have the ability, the opportunity to change history. Like, we might be making real discoveries that will change history. And that, to me, is, is so exciting and super cool. I mean, everything from, um, you know, expeditions were going on or, you know, going... Volcanic vents under the ocean. Going, yeah, going to the deepest, the deepest parts of the ocean, going to the highest points on Earth, going into space. I mean, we can... We can touch them all. One day live from Mars. We, you never know. You never know. Yeah. Uh, that Could would happen in our lifetime. Uh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> you want to go? No. <laughs> I don't even want to get in that submarine to go down. I, have, I know you like to travel. I've got a great photograph I love of you to and travel. I on the Great Wall of China. So you I know. Do? Yeah. Oh. But I, I, know, I know you like to get out there. But what. what what is it that you're looking for? What's the best advice that you can give producers who want to come to you and want to be in business with you? Well, a couple of things. I would say, you know, study our network, right? Like study what we have, see, see what's working for us. Because I've, I've been talking a lot about the brand and the specials, which are core to who we are and our brand defining. Um, but we have some amazing series beyond Naked and Afraid. Mm-hmm. You know, we have Gold Rush, we have Deadliest Catch. They're all like a part of the fabric of Discovery. And and frankly, we're on the hunt for more of those series that could be long-running series and um, and and the shows that really could continue to define the brand moving forward. So, if you if you study the network and see what works and see who we're aiming at. Um, if, if you have ideas that you think can connect on that level, that's what you should be bringing to us. And it could be, you know, think about all the major pillars that mean discovery. I mean, we talk about science, we talk about nature, but we talk about that kind of the survival, right? The, the epic kind of man versus nature or man immersed in nature. Um, but, you know, epic jobs, like anything that, that can feel like... Um, it's something about man being, you know, entrepreneurial and working with their own hands and actually creating something amazing. I mean, that even goes for our motor programming, right? Like those, some of those shows are some of our highest rated shows on Discovery. And I think it has a lot to do with these are guys who are creating really cool um, cars and, and bikes and they're working with their own hands. They're super creative and they're kind of living their dream. Um, and doing it well and doing it on their own terms. And that's definitely a discovery tenant as well. Another thing you talked about was the instrumentaries, like uh, where you can 
where you can very quickly jump onto a topic and make an instant documentary. And one of the ones that you did, of course, was with the cave rescue, yeah. the Thai cave rescue. Yes. Um, I'm just wondering, who are you looking to to do those? Because those things are happening so quickly. You want to turn them around so quickly. Uh, how does somebody become that person that gets to make well, it? Uh, honestly, we're usually affiliated with a news source who is there on the ground and, and is used to doing a quick turn and can, can have that kind of footage available, have the, the, the correspondents there who are doing the interviews. Those ones are hard. It's like that would be a very hard thing to say, all right, you know, we're a week into this, <laughs> this thing. Now you go and get the story because there's been people there covering it. Right. And frankly, you know, those are, we used to do a lot more of those. They've become a little more few and far between because um, like the Thai cave rescue to me was a total discovery story. I mean, that was. It uh, had everything. It had everything. It had um, survival. It had exploration. Stakes. Huge stakes, you know, it, and um, science and ingenuity. How are they going to get them out? Um, it had everything, and then, and then, like, thank God, it had a happy ending. Like, yeah. it was just, it was perfect, and we did it. Um, I have to be honest with you, it didn't do that well on Discovery in the U.S., but it did gangbusters on Discovery internationally. Why do you think that is? Uh, I don't think people in, in the U.S. are used to seeing that kind of stuff on Discovery. So it's a little, it's our fault, right, because we haven't done enough of those um, and haven't really trained the audience to come to us for that. But also those stories are few and far between, the ones that totally make sense to be on Discovery. I think of one we did many years ago. It was about um, that cruise ship, the Concordia, that hit the rocks, do you remember? It and rolled it was, over. And it rolled over. And, it was, and that was another like survival story, science story, salvage story. There were so many things involved with that. Um, that was a good one for us to do. But you know, it, it's hard to find those. Or yeah. be ready for that. They just randomly happen. Obviously. Well, that yeah, you're yeah. not going to make that happen. Right. What did you? What do you mean by Netflixing? You've talked about Netflixing as yeah. far as scheduling and so on. Our head of programming, Scott Lures, who um, was was looking at all the scheduling and making us all think about can we do more hours, more hours. I think he's the one who coined the term Netflix in the schedule. He's like, look, this is how people are watching things now. People are binging. People yeah. want to watch more. If you, if they love it, they will watch it for. You, have you ever done that? You I, sit down and watch one episode and you watch, the next thing you know, it's 10 o'clock at night. And you I, I, I never thought I would like The Walking Dead and then I ended up walk, you know, watching for a whole weekend, a whole <laughs> exactly. season. Yeah. So, I just drank wine and uh, I don't remember. Don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. Yeah. There's a lot of dead people walking around. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you get, you get hooked. And you, you get hooked. So it was, why aren't, we, why aren't we expecting the same thing of our audience? So we, we started doing that more and the key was doing it with the shows that were working, that had proven audiences. Is so, that what you've also co coined uh, or you've referred to as supersizing? You're like sort of that block. Yeah, so, so you, yeah, so like we, we started doing it with 90 Day. We did it with Sister Wives. I mean, we did it with the shows that we knew had a, um, a loyal base of people that wanted to watch it. And they stayed. But, you know, I think we would never do that with a brand new show. Right. You need to kind of earn that from the audience, you kind of need to earn their time and know that they're going to invest in you, than asking them for two hours right out of the gate on, on traditional TV. So just speaking about 
SVOD and talking about when people can access what they want when they want it and not having to follow a schedule. What's the future for discovery in terms of being able to be anywhere in the world like with Netflix and just pull up the program you want to watch? Yeah, well, we have um, Discovery Go, um, and that really is the place for people to go and watch you know, on their mobile devices, whatever they want. We have our whole library on there, and you can go on there and authenticate and watch whatever you want. So if you get your cable, if you're through your cable provider, yes. if you get discovery, then you get access. Exactly. Okay. You just have to go in and put in your, your, um, your, your username and password, and you get everything at our whole library. Wow. That's pretty awesome. It is pretty awesome. I think we've been looking at it like we need to be where our viewers want us to be. Like if it, we have to listen to them. I know how I wa I know how my kids watch. My kids don't even turn on TV anymore. Yeah, they don't know what a schedule is. They no, don't know that they, something's on at 8 o'clock. <laughs> they sit on the couch in front of this giant expensive TV I brought, bought and watch stuff on their phone. Yeah. Um, and that's their preferred method of viewing. And you as the chief, that must be very annoying sometimes. <laughs> kids, come on, look, there's a big TV. Yeah, Mom and Dad bought a big TV. I, I make them watch with me. They're actually <laughs> good critics sometimes. And then I know when they leave the room, I'm like, uh-oh. We got work to do. They're, <laughs> they're, uh, were they tweenies or they, were they eight to? Uh, my, my kids are 15 and 11, two boys. 15, okay. So, and you, you, you really do use them for a little bit of audience analysis? Yes. Yeah? Uh -huh. Sometimes. You get some good feedback? Um, yes. They, I mean, they, they, they definitely give me feedback. I don't know if it's good, but they'll give me feedback. All right. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you to Nancy Daniels for taking time to speak to us today. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. To see more great interviews, go to philcogan.com and subscribe to Bucket with Phil Kogan wherever you get your podcasts. Please consider rating and reviewing us. And follow Bucket, that's Bucket with an IT, on Instagram and Facebook. Also, follow me on Twitter, at Phil Kogan. See you soon.